Good morning, church. Uh, this weekend really was incredible. Um, the, I was explaining last weekend that it was a thought that I'd had and I'd talked with Hannah and trying to figure out how this was going to work, um, being able to see something from, from brain go to paper and paper into action um, was really incredible. Uh, we, we had to put a cap on something, and I really hate the thought of putting a, a cap on a ministry by saying we can only have so many people attend um, but we, we had to limit the number of boys and girls that were there. But this is where it starts. Um, Christ had his small group of disciples, and that's where it launched from there. Um, our kids here, this is the, the, the takeoff point. They get to go into our community. They get to be that light in a world that's darkness. Um, so I want to start this morning by saying uh, thank you to everyone that's involved. If uh, you see people wearing these awesome uh, blue shirts here, uh, my lovely wife helped me design it, uh, so I'm not this creative, I promise. And she, she's over there with our kids right now, but thank you for all those that gave up your home, gave up your time, uh, the band who uh, willingly took on some new songs, uh, that way we could play this morning, because this was an incredible weekend for what we have. Um, there were some fun games, uh, I talked to the boys last night, and their favorite part was eating, and some of them ate all weekend long. Um, the Tyler came to me on Saturday morning, and he goes, I feel really bad for Abby Hastings. I said, why? He goes, these kids are going to eat her out of house and home. And she was trying to, like, reassure him, because, like, I sent probably, like, 50 bags of chips and, like, half a box of, like, the 100-pound count of Welch's um, gummies, but I'm pretty sure they ate all of them on the first night, and there was only, like, maybe 10 kids there, so... Um, I'm sorry, parents, if your kids have upset stomachs, but they are full upset stomachs nonetheless. Um, we had some excitement where we got to travel around Floyd County. Uh, they went and checked out places like going to Barron Stadium and running a 100-meter dash. They went and hula-hooped with our good friend Truett. Uh, they explored the clock tower. They went and walked the bridge. They went all over the place, and they, they set forth and they traveled very much in the same way that we're going to challenge them and challenge you to set forth and travel within our community to be the light of Christ. From last Sunday, specifically going into Friday and Saturday, and then even today, we are looking at a key verse, and it comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verse 5. So we're going to read that here together, and it says that the light shines in the darkness, and yet the light did not overcome it. The first thing I told the kids when I sat up here on Friday night was there, there was two things I wanted them to do. I wanted them to take their pen, and they were going to circle the word light and the word overcome. Because those are the, the two focusing pieces there, because we know that whatever happens, that light is overcoming that darkness. That was the, the point that I wanted to drive home with them from the first minute. That darkness cannot exist in any presence of light. That light right there, is, it will ruin darkness, and that was the hope for them to hear. In 1% of light, it takes away darkness. Last weekend, we read in Isaiah 42 about how God reveals and how God restores and how God <clears throat> renews. But Friday night, we were able to go a little bit farther with the kids. We talked about how God's a creator. He's perfect in every way. He spoke light into a chaotic void that we now know as earth. The nothingness that is now something, the hidden that is now revealed, and in Scripture, every time he created something, he spoke it into existence and he said it was good. And it was indeed. But we as man fell victim to wanting more. We always want more. 
ask the kids, you know, they go to a restaurant and they sit down and they eat their plate of food and they want more. You can't just get one more taste. You have to order a whole other plate. And so we continue to seek out more and more than the portion that, that's actually set aside for us, the part that is appropriate for what we need. And so when Adam and Eve wanted more, it was no longer good. They gave into their temptation. They gave into their selfish desires. And at that point, they brought darkness into the world. We brought something that we wanted so hard more than God. We wanted to know more. We wanted to be more. We brought sin into the world. But like we see in John 1, 5, that the darkness cannot overcome the light. On Friday night, I was explaining to the kids that the Spirit is a guiding force, that Jesus is the revealing light, and that the gospel is a transforming truth. God not only is the creator of all things, but he's a caring God. While we made the mistake and we messed up, he still provided us with, this, with love. He still looked after his people. He still made promises to us. We saw that through, through Isaiah. We see that as to when we go into the future. Uh, Friday night, I spent some time, and I was talking to the kids about a guy named Simeon. And uh, we're reading in Luke chapter 2 about how parents will come and they'll dedicate their babies. And I explained to the kids that the, there are moments throughout the year that babies come up here with their parents and we, we hold them up like they're Simba and we say, church, like, love this child. And all of you say we do and you make that commitment to them. Well, Simeon was at the temple. Simeon was a man who was devout, a man who was righteous, who, was, who knew God, had a relationship with God, who trusted in him. And he went to that temple the day when this happened and he, he was told a promise from God that he would not die until he got to see the face of the Messiah. God fulfilling those promises, the truth that he had set forth for them. When he was in the temple that day and he, he looked and said, this right here, this is the Messiah. This is the light. This is the chosen one. And Mary and Joseph didn't even flinch because they recognized that. Like the truth that was spoken into the world that day. So continuing on the fact that God is a creative God and God is a caring God, God calls out to us. So this morning, we're going to spend some time uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 specifically, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Um, but we're going to continue to look at the light and the darkness today, uh, looking at something that Paul has written. This is his second letter that he's written to the church of Corinth. Um, it's around little less than 2,000 years ago, and he is writing to them, basically talking about the relationship between suffering, the power, the power of the Spirit that's in his life, in his ministry, and in his message. He's letting them know that there's going to be hard times, but he's letting them know that what it looks like by having the Holy Spirit. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, reads as this. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Verse 3. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds 
the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's breaking down for us in these six verses three big points that helps guide and steer our way on what it looks like to be called by God and to be a believer. The first point he points out is that the gospel thrives in the light. Um, my wife uh, has uh, taken to uh, this lifestyle of a green thumb. Uh, there's approximately a small jungle in my living room. Um, uh, somehow I've ended up with a plant on the dresser and the nightstand. I think there's one in the bathroom. Um, everywhere except for my computer desk at the house, there's probably a plant in my home. Um, for any of you out there that are botany people, plant people, that's awesome. They look cool. Uh, she also tends to forget to water them. Um, I joke about watering them, and she looks at me uh, probably within an inch of my life and says, don't do it, uh, because I might overwater them, I might underwater them. But we know that for a plant to thrive, it, it needs to have good soil, it needs to have water. But one of the most important things that she's run into is light. We've got lots of windows in our house where the sun can come in, but there are certain plants that need more light or less light, and there are certain areas we can hang them and not put them. But we know that plants need light. And just like that, the, the gospel thrives in the light. We ourselves need the gospel. We need that light. What Paul is saying here in verse 2 is a very bold statement. Paul says that when he preaches the gospel, he doesn't do anything to try and trick people. He's not trying to water down the truth of, the God, of God's word. He doesn't change the message to make it easier to accept. He doesn't use his platform to bring him fame or wealth. He's doing whatever he can to preach the gospel as it is. Paul is trying to make it very clear. The Bible we read today has been uh, torn apart and written and rewritten and given new languages hundreds of times. Um, this past semester, uh, my professor in a hermeneutics class I was taking, he was uh, on the team that was comprised of writing the, the CSB version, and there's like 55 different like theologians that were involved in getting this Bible put together. And there was this whole, like, I like the way that this word says it, and this word says it, and trying to find the perfect way to where it could explain to the people the best language. What Paul is doing here for the people of Corinth is he's taking the word of God, the word that has been given to him, that's been promised to him, that has literally passed down from hundreds of years. He's trying to take this law, he's taking these promises, and explain it to them. But at the same time, he's explaining it without trying to water it down. He's trying to present it in its fullness of what is available. He then continues and he says that he refuses to do anything but preach the gospel in a responsible and accurate way. When he says he refuses, we almost get this impression that there is a precedent for people misusing the gospel or using it for their good. When we read scripture, we see stuff. I mean, social media is really... It's, it's really good for, for people putting those inspirational, you know, scriptures out there with a, a picture of the background of a beach, and we'll take one verse in isolation, and we use it 
and it's, it's uplifting and it's powerful. But if we don't have the entire context of what's around it, and that's what Paul is using here. He's saying we can't just take this one little piece of scripture and, and use this one little bit to, to make ourselves there. We need the entirety of it. You need the whole gospel. You can't just take one detail. Paul references this very thing in his letter to the Philippians, and Paul is taking a stand, and he preaches the truth of the gospel for the sake of God's glory and not of his own. In keeping with the fact that the gospel thrives in the light, we don't want to miss, at the end of verse 2, Paul saying that he openly shares the truth of the gospel in the sight of the people of God. The things about the gospel that makes it thrive in the light is that it stands on its own. A plant needs soil and water and light, someone to come and take care of it. The gospel in itself, it is a power, it is a light of its own. It creates its own light. It's its own source that's there. It's the most powerful message ever told, and it is perfect, and it is totally good. It is totally right. There is no need to manipulate the gospel to give it power. And that was true when Paul was writing his letter, and it's still true today. You can stand boldly in the message of God's love and redemptive in the redemption available through the faith in Jesus. The gospel is indeed, it thrives in the light. If we take the plant out of the window, I stick it in the closet, first off, my, the, my wife would be incredibly upset. But now that plant not only is not getting the sunlight, but it's not getting the neglect, it's now not getting water, it's not the environment it needs to be in, but it's in the dark. When we remove an opportunity from the light to be present and we push it into something where it's going to be in darkness, it's going, it will not thrive, it cannot thrive. So I got to thinking of places that darkness helps things thrive. If you're a parent of a middle school boy um, and they have sweaty gym clothes or if you're a, a coach that has a team or maybe you're, uh, you've gone to the pool and all of a sudden they've taken that towel or that swimsuit and they've taken it off and they've thrown it and it's gone under the bed. Dark, creepy, scary, under the bed. Um, the only thing that really thrives in the darkness is mildew. <laughs> but with a little bit of uh, Blue Dawn and light, the mildew comes out. It goes away. Uh, there are a number of things when I was growing up at my grandmother's house that I thought once were ruined that a little bit of light and just some elbow grease would bring back that favorite T-shirt, would take those nasty outdoor shoes and make them usable again. When we look at a plant and we look at mildew, they're completely separate things. If Hannah's plants aren't getting water, aren't getting the light, they're not getting the proper nutrition they need, um, bugs will start to attack them. There's this thing called root rot. I don't know what it is, I just know it's bad. Um, little holes start developing in leaves. But if we treat our lives like we're a plant, our roots will start to wither away. We won't be properly feeding ourselves. We'll start noticing holes in our lives just like we notice holes in the leaves. That uh, soil will get damp, it'll be nasty. You'll get little mold pieces kind of growing on it. 
We need light to survive just as much as a plant does. But we don't just need the sunlight, we need the light of the gospel. The second point that Paul is pointing out here in 2 Corinthians is that Satan's goal is to keep people in the dark. He doesn't have a a big game plan. He doesn't have a step-by-step that says, I'm going to do this and this and this, and this is how I'm going to do it. He just says, "I've I've got a goal, and I just want to keep people in the dark. When Paul speaks about a veil here, we're to, to imagine a curtain or a cloth. I was explaining to the kids, uh, brides on their wedding day wear a veil. It covers their face. It, it, it kind of hides what's there. But then the beauty is revealed when we, they get to pull that veil back. Everyone gets to see the bride's face, and it's beautiful. The emotions are, are not that of, of sadness, but of joy. Imagine if we couldn't see through that veil and it was just completely black and complete darkness. The fear of the look on a bride's face. If something is behind a veil, you wouldn't be able to see it. So what Paul is trying to say and what he has, what Paul is saying is that he has not done anything to conceal or hide the gospel, but somebody has. In verses three through five, he is saying that I'm telling you the truth here, but there is a world around us where you have been veiled from God's truth. In verse 3, that there are people whom the gospel is not being received clearly and openly. Paul describes that these people who are perishing, they are dying. They are the plants that are not receiving the light, they are not receiving the water. Perishing are those who are eternally separated from God because of their unforgiven sins. So who is the one veiling the gospel as we continue to read in verse 4? Paul says that Satan... All right, the God of this world, he uses little g. The God of this world works to prevent the gospel message from taking root in people's lives. He blinds the minds of those who reject the gospel and keeping people in the dark. Satan wants nothing more for people to never grasp and accept the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. From a practical standpoint, Paul isn't telling us how this works. That's not his concern. He doesn't care how Satan works. He wants you to recognize that it exists and that there is a way to get away from that. If I have a pipe bust at my house, I don't have to know the intricate workings of every single plumbing system in my house. I have to know that there's a problem and that it has to be fixed and that the solution to get it fixed is the pipe is replaced. The broken part is removed and the clean part is put in. Paul does not concern himself on how Satan does this, but that anyone who rejects the gospel does so because the power of sin in their life keeps them from accepting Christ as Lord. Anything that keeps someone from responding to the gospel, maybe it's their their hatred, maybe it's unbelief, maybe it's pride, all of this is a result from sin. Our brokenness is a barrier to healing what the gospel brings. We want to be more like plants where we need light and less like mildew where we thrive in the darkness. But Paul brings it home with verse 6. The good news is that we have a role to play in sharing the light of the gospel with the world. God fills us with the light of his glory. What Paul is referring to is when he mentions that God is on record of having saying, let light shine out of darkness. 
Yesterday morning, the kids had in here, uh, there were six prayer stations. Some of them involved uh, taking some modeling clay, molding it around. They got to experience the, the struggle it was because I said you could create anything. And there are about five or six of them that said, what do I create? They wanted clear instructions. But God spoke into the world of the perfect creation. They stood before a mirror. They looked in the mirror. They wrote down what they saw, and they see their own reflection. So when we see them and we see out into this world, we just see what's, what's present here on the front side. But then I asked them to hold a flashlight up in front of them, and when they did that, they couldn't see their reflection anymore. They could just see the light that is there. My hope is that people don't see our faces, that they see the reflection that comes from us, the reflection that is Christ. We had a lamp. I asked them, literally take a giant Amazon box and they put it on top of it. Or if they took the lamp and put it on top of the box, which way made more sense? Kids are very logical on what's going on there. They recognize that putting the lamp on top of the box was the better choice here. We reference scripture that says, a city on a hill is not easily hidden. But the actions on a hill the day of Calvary are not hidden either. It screams a very loud message. It's a message to the world that we are rescued, that we are saved. Let the light shine out of darkness. Paul is, of course, re referring to the moment that God spoke into creation. We cannot miss this moment. It's powerful enough that God just speaks light into darkness, into the chaotic void that was there, and brought nothingness into something. God speaks light into our hearts, and Paul mentions that the heart for him it would have meant that the absolute center of who we are, the source of our being and our will. So Paul is saying that God radically fills our innermost being with his light. But Paul defines this light by saying that it's shining this light in our hearts. It's our actions, it's our emotions, it's how we treat others. The light that shines into our hearts is the knowledge of his glory through his son Jesus when we come to the saving faith in Christ through hearing and believing the gospel message, the darkness of our heart is illuminated by the presence of God. In his infinite kindness, God made it so that we could know him. That if we take this for granted, this powerful truth that we have, we won't. But instead, indeed, we need to know God. We need to know the, the knowledge is transforming knowledge. Adam and Eve wanted more. They wanted to know more. They wanted to, to, to feel more. They were seeking out more. Hence why they, they went and disobeyed the one rule that was there. But the entirety of the knowledge, the truth that we need to know, we can get that through Christ. It's not simply knowing a fact. It's knowing the truth and being changed by it. The most profound concept is that light of God's glory in us can't be contained in our hearts, though, that it radiates through every part of us. It affects our thoughts. It affects our actions. It changes our values. It changes who we are in every way. This is the power of the light that God speaks into the darkness. Our lives are never the same. We take a light. We try and cover it up. We can try and hide it. That light is still going to be shining. It's still going to, to penetrate through. If we want a light not to shine, if we want a light not to be seen, we actively have to continue to put more and more darkness over top of it. We are choosing to cover up a light. We are choosing to hide a light. 
And if we're doing that with ourselves, so if we say that the light of the Lord is with us, it's in our hearts, and we are choosing not to be that radiant light, we're putting sin first, we're putting our actions first, we're putting ourselves first. We recognize that God is a caring God. We recognize that God's a creative God, but he's calling out. He's calling out for us to follow him, to know him, and have a relationship with him. His presence drives away darkness. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 22, it says, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb of this temple, the city does not need sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. Our end goal is heaven. Our end goal is this relationship. The glory of God illuminates. It is, it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the King of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. Kids get scared in the dark. We get scared. Our fears become more prevalent at night. We watch a, a spooky movie. The bad guy always comes out in the darkness. But when we flip on the light switch, when we cut on the flashlight, when we find the light and we seek what it's there, we leave the darkness, we pull ourselves in, we see it. Verse 26 of chapter 22 of Revelation says, they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. It is purity, it is light, there is no darkness. As much as Satan wants to try, he can't overcome the light. When God took the nothingness, he said, let there be light. The light has not stopped shining. We ourselves have just been selfish and tried to put something in its place. So church, I stand here this morning saying this because for our kids, for you, for our world around us, we have to be that light. It's very simple for me to have a lamp in my office that sits there. I can hang a, a jacket on the top of it. I can cut it off. It looks like a, a fun adult piece of furniture that goes in there. It serves a hundred different purposes, but its goal, its purpose here is to be a lamp. It's to be a light that guides it's to be a light for me to be able to see, for me to be able to know, for me not to be in darkness. Our lives serve a hundred different purposes, but our goal, what we are here for, what we are created for, is to glorify God and to illuminate his light. So as we leave this place, as we go out into our community, into our, let us be that illuminating light. Let us recognize that the things that we have been selfish with, that we have... We've put first to make second, third, obsolete, but to put him there, to put God as the ever so present person who not only loves us, who rescued us, that we, we not only disobeyed, but he brought us back again. So we're going to end with a, an amazing song this morning. I'm going to invite the band back up. So we get ready to start our, our time of response. But this is our chance.
This is our opportunity to go and witness out into the world, to go and be the light within our community. We know the story. We know the details because God loves us. And it's through that we can love others.